0: man, he's here, he's here, he's the miracle worker, he's the way maker, that's our king, that's our God. And man, I I get jazzed because I I get cynical. Man, I look at the world, but then I get back here and I have hope and we're a family of hope. That's what God's put us together to be, a family of hope. When you hit the church with other believers, it's not the building, it's these believers. When I hear Wade, I have hope. When I'm at CR on Friday night, I hear Nathan. I hear testimonies by a guy named Brian. I have hope when I'm with the people of God because this is a family of hope in Jesus Christ alone. And he is the center of it all. When's the last time he was the center of your life? When was the last time? Not going through the motions, but worshiping him in spirit and truth. Not on this mountain or that mountain, like Jesus said to the woman at the well but in spirit and truth that he is here. He is the way maker right now and there is hope. Well, we're talking about hope today if you haven't picked up on it. Now we'll get to the sermon. See, I'm gonna start off with a downer because I'm talking about conquering cynicism. And if, if you're like me, at first you might be, I'm not a cynic, but then you start to think, man, maybe I am more than I realize. But see, today's really about hope and it's getting hairy out there, right? It's getting crazy out there. And it's easy to be a cynic right now. It's the spirit of the age, cynicism. And cynicism affects our life. It robs us of the things that God has for us. It keeps us from the breakthroughs that Holy Spirit has for us. And it's hurt, it's pain, doubt, and despair, and discouragement that takes the form of cynicism. Now, if you're like, I don't know if I'm a cynic, maybe you can just relate right there. Hurt, pain, doubt, despair, discouragement. Man, if that doesn't hit you, I don't know what. Because we live in a sin-fallen world. And it takes this form of cynicism. And Paul Miller in the book calls it the spirit of our age. And it's sort of like we we go see good things happen to people. I'm going to use a lot of examples today. But we see good things happen to, to people. And we're like, well, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. It's going to fall out beneath you. Or we come into a room with people full of joy and worshiping and they're sensing the presence of God and we say, oh, it's all fake. It's all made up, whatever. If they only knew what I know, they wouldn't be so hopeful. See, I think everyone has a bit of a cynic in us. You know how I, this week, I, I, well, last week when I was preparing, how I knew I was a cynic? Maybe you can relate to this. I like McFlurries. I'll just be really honest for you. But I'm a cynic Because I know if I try to go to McDonald's, their ice cream machine is going to be broken down. (laughs) I'm cynical. See, you never thought you'd be a cynic, right? You never thought you'd be a cynic. The cynic was always that guy. Nobody wants to be cynical, but so many people end up there. Most cynics are former optimists. Now, listen, I don't mean that optimist who doesn't face reality. You know who that is, right? I don't know if we have any in our church, but it's that optimist who doesn't face reality. That's not what I'm talking about. It's like you get hit by a car, and they're like, well, at least it wasn't a truck. And you're like, I'm pretty sure the car was bad enough. Or like, you know, you're balding, and you're lamenting that you're balding, and they're like, well, you were just too tall before. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about of optimism. Today is about... Not becoming this optimist with the power of positive thinking today is the simple step, a simple step we take, a simple step we take away from unbelief and towards hope. You see the cynic no longer prays or believes. I've been amazed how many times I've been reading this book and skipping ahead for different things and Paul Miller would say, hey, you don't pray because you don't believe. I'm like, Shh. I don't know if, you, if he said that enough. I can't remember the first couple chapters but he keeps saying it and I'm like, stop Paul Miller. Stop telling me the truth that I don't pray because I don't believe. But it's true. See, the cynic no longer prays or believes. They pray a little bit. They believe a little bit up here. But it's like Jesus in his hometown. Do you remember the story in his hometown? He could do very little there because of their unbelief. They looked at him cynically. Oh, he's just Joseph and Mary's son. What can he do? It was doubt and unbelief. And it's that doubt and unbelief It says, I've got it all figured out. I've heard this Jesus stuff before. I grew up in it. I've heard it all before. This Jesus guy, we saw him when he was little. I saw him when I was little. What can he do? See, for believers, we go from believing for great things from God to almost believing nothing from God. and We get hurt and we say, I'm the only one I can trust. Well, And here's a few more examples. Well, God didn't heal my fill in the blank. Why pray? Doesn't matter anyway. Or maybe it's your marriage. He or she will never change. It will always be like this. We get cynical. Sometimes we think we got the short end of the stick in life. How many of you play that fiddle? I got the short end. Sometimes God didn't meet our expectations or he wanted him to write our story in a certain way. Or maybe you've grown cynical about relationships, your work, your family, your marriage. Maybe it's something that you can't even help, like chronic pain, I don't know what it is for you. But see, cynicism can lead us to leave out the presence of God and the grace of God and Christianity becomes pharisaical and judgmental or just plain dead. Maybe you're cynical about the church Maybe you got hurt by another believer or even a pastor and your heart gets hurt and your heart gets smaller and smaller and you find you've grown cynical. And ultimately, here's what you need to hear. You don't expect anything. That way, you won't be let down. Maybe that helps convince us that we got, all got a little bit of cynicism in us. We don't expect anything, because what if it lets me down? What if they let me down? What if God lets me down? I'm not gonna pray because he'll get let down. I'm tired of getting let down. You see, when we grow cynical, our hope dies. You close your heart to people, and you close your heart to God, and you're like, well, my heart's not closed to God, it's closed to people. The problem is you can't have your heart closed to people and not be closed off to God. It's an illusion, and our hope dies. And God looks in, he's looking in right now. He's looking into your heart right now, he sees, how hard your heart is, how you're trying to avoid the emotion, how you're trying to avoid the defeat or whatever it is in your life, and you're scrambling, and you're slipping out of the hope you had, and he wants to come in and help, but see God respects boundaries because those walls are up, right? You know, walls all around you, and he's knocking at the door. Hey, I see hope slipping in your life. Come on, just let me in. But he respects your boundaries. And he's saying, are you ever gonna open your heart again? Are you gonna open your heart again? Actually, when babies are like that, it means the Holy Spirit's moving, so that's good. You can, you can, he, the baby can stay. I wanna ask you that. Are you ever gonna open your heart again? Are you ever gonna open up your heart in your marriage again? Are you ever gonna open up your heart to God again? Are you ever gonna open your heart again? And he's waiting, and I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, hear this. Ultimately your head believes, but your heart has stopped believing and you can't pray. And you've stopped hoping and stopped believing and trusting. See, nobody sets out to be cynical. Man, I can't wait to be jaded and unable to pray. Woo! I'm pumped. We, we never start off that way. And often we're like, how did I get to this place where I don't trust anyone and I don't trust God anymore? See, most cynics are former optimists. Most cynics are former optimists. Cynicism starts not because you don't care, but because you do care. You cared so much and then you got hurt. And then you started reeling backwards. But then we see the ugly side of life. And usually there's something somewhere, maybe in the present, in the past, wherever it is, where we got a little jaded. We got a little hurt. And you tried to trust again. You're like, well, I'll just, I'm gonna try again. And then you just got it, your heart ripped out again. You're like, what happened? I threw my heart into this and it got broke. And the hurts of our past or present pronounces the death sentence on our future. Are any of you there? You don't have to raise your hand. I suspect in our world right now, there's many of us that are in that place. See, cynicism comes from knowing too much of this sinful world. In Ecclesiastes, if you wanna find out why the world is so crazy and depressing, depressing, is basically Solomon says, it's all chasing after wind. He went after it all, and he came up and said, it's all chasing after wind, it's this knowledge. And he's not talking about the knowledge of God, he's talking about the knowledge of the world that's broken by sin, and it breaks us. And so we have broken families, broken health, broken jobs, broken everything because of sin in the world and it jades us and we get bitter and our hearts die. Now we're gonna shift it. But now we're gonna shift it because we're a family of hope. Because God resurrects dead things. He is called the God of all hope. You see that word hope, we misuse it. Like, I catch myself, well, I hope it will happen. I hope this is gonna turn out okay. I hope, see, that's how we use the word hope. I'm guilty of it. I use it like that all the time. That's not a biblical definition of hope, but let me just quickly throw at you the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary definition to make it official. It's to cherish a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or to be true. I feel like flowers are falling from the sky right now. Like, they're like, this is like the happy joy. I hope it works out. Grasping for straws. Man, that's the world's view of hope. That's not biblical hope. See, hope in the Greek is to anticipate or welcome. Whoops, went too far. It's to anticipate or welcome properly to expectation of what is sure, certain. Hope. That's biblical hope. See, hope in the Bible, it's not a mere wish as it's used today that implies doubt. On the contrary, it's confidently expecting that something will happen and waiting patiently before that with joy and pleasure in Christ. John Piper puts it this way. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Furthermore, biblical hope takes its foundation from faith. In Hebrews 11:1, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, faith and hope always go together. When I have faith in what God says, this is like what happens, it's like that faith. When I have faith in what God says, what he promises, it fills that hope. So it's not some wishy-washy worldly version, but it's based on the word of God and the spirit of God. And that's biblical hope. See, my hope is now welcoming and anticipating all that God has said in his word. Now I have hope, no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what's going on in the world. Hope is always future-oriented. Hope is looking expectantly towards the future. Romans 8 says this, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, it's future-oriented. It's out there, but it's not wishy washy. It's a strong foundation because it's in the Word of God. It's based on Christ's sacrifice. It is the most sturdiest, steadiest thing in the whole wide world. While everything in the, the world is straw and falls and is burned up, the Word of God stands firm, and we can have hope in it and rest in Christ alone. See, many of you are on that roller coaster ride. You know that roller coaster I've been on it where you're like, man, I'm I'm so hopeful. God's moving, God's doing stuff, and boom, you just like, the roller coaster just dipped. And you're like, what happened? And you're up and you're down and you're up. I've got hope, I don't have hope. I don't don't believe, I believe. You're just up and down. See, with hopelessness, with hopelessness, it's like you're stuck. It's like the devil has captured you in a moment and says, this is it. It'll never change and it will never get better. How many of you know that? It's like he takes like a, a Polaroid picture, you know? where you, oh, everybody looks crazy in a Polaroid picture, if, if, if you guys remember. It's like the devil comes and he's like, you know, and you take, is that a copier or a, I don't know, I don't remember. But he takes it and he's waving it around in your face saying, see, you're stuck, you'll never get out of this. You look crazy, you are crazy, don't hope in Jesus. That's what he does. But see, there's a little verse in Zechariah I love. Zechariah is an amazing book, you need to go read it. It's called The Little Apocalypse. It's such a cool book. And it shows so much of Christ's future ministry, what he's gonna do, how he's gonna come, and his second coming. Talks about, when he, I shouldn't be saying all this part, but it's so cool because Christ comes back on the Mount of Olives and the earthquake goes, East gate goes in, he goes in, and he kicks out the Antichrist from the throne with just his breath, the word of his mouth. It's so awesome. So read Zechariah. But Zechariah, just the context is that they are an oppressed people they're hurt, they've sinned, they're hopeless, they're down in the pit. How many of you know the pit? You've been down in the pit. And you're like, we'll never get out of here. So listen, to, I love this verse, watch. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, who knows we have the blood of the covenant of the Lamb of God, who was slain for my sin, your sins, past, present, and future. He says, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. You know, waterless pit, is dry. It's not like Jeremiah's pit. That was a miry pit that had water and, 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 you felt stuck, but this is a dry pit. But I love what it says. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. See, you hear that contrast going on. Even now as I announced that I will restore twice as much to you. <coughs> Excuse me. See that word fortress? In Hebrew, there's like five different words for hope. One of the words for hope, one of them is waiting expectantly, but the other one is of a stronghold or a fortress. In other words, it's a play on words that Zachariah is doing. He's saying, your hope is in Christ, your fortress, your stronghold. Return to him, run to him, get into that fortress. And I love it because he says, it's like Jesus saying, be my prisoner. Because you're a prisoner of something. You're either a prisoner of the world or you're a prisoner of Jesus. Now, I know you wanna act like you're you're big and tough and you're free and and all that good stuff, but you're either a slave to the devil or you're a slave to God, that's it. End of story. And right here, Jesus is like, run to the fortress, put your trust in me, come to that fortress. In the Greek Septuagint, it's it's the Greek of the Hebrew scriptures, it says the synagogue, run to the synagogue. In other words, run to that place, that family of hope, run to that place where God's presence is. Run to God, you prisoners of hope man, you're a prisoner of something. But the thing is, you know, the devil tries to capture us. Jesus doesn't capture us, we have to surrender to him. We have to surrender to him. I love that contrast. What are you? A prisoner of hope? Or are you a prisoner of the waterless pit? Jesus is like, I'm your stronghold. Let me take you captive, surrender your heart to me. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to be a prisoner of that. You see, the cynic thinks they're free and in control. Well, I don't trust anything, so therefore I won't get hurt. But their life is imprisoned. Be held as a prisoner of hope. God speaks hope into our lives as a promise. He's planted the promise on the inside of us when we became believers. Romans four eighteen says against all hope, Abraham believed, hope against hope. There was nothing for him to see, nothing of his eyes to see. No way did he look at his circumstances and say God is still there. It felt like God wasn't there. It felt like a dry waterless pit and it probably was until he became a prisoner of hope and said, God, I believe, I believe. And he was so sure of it, he didn't waver in unbelief. And he chased after God. He chased after him. That's what we've got to do. He was fully convinced that God could do what he promised he would do. We must order our life and our prayer around hope. And it comes with the promise of restoration. Look at that last part. Even now, I I announce. It's really good when God starts announcing stuff. We're supposed to announce the gospel, right? Right? but God is always announcing stuff over your life. And he says, I will restore twice as much. In other words, double, double what the devil has stolen. Exodus 22, 4 says, if a thief is caught red-handed, he must restore double. Listen, the devil has been caught red-handed on the cross and in his resurrection. And you know the devil won't restore that, right? So God says, I myself will restore it. Double the joy, double the hope. Listen, and I want you to hear this because this is key. This is what He's talking about when it says double, that you'll receive double. This is here. Please hear this. Hear what I'm saying right now. If I can find it on my page, because I'm getting kind of worked up. Double joy, double hope. This is it. If we will position ourselves, in the places he's called to that are uncomfortable. They don't feel right. They feel kind of crazy. It feels like a waterless pit. If we will position ourselves in obedience in those places, he will change us. Maybe not always the circumstances, but us. If we'll say, I'll be your prisoner, Lord. See, hope is joyful expectation about the future. Hope is always future oriented. It anticipates where you're going. It's an expe- expectation that my tomorrow will be better. How many of you actually believe that? Because you know Jesus, not because of your circumstances, but because you know Jesus, you believe that your tomorrow is better than your today. See the rearview mirror? That's a great thing to have in a car, right? That's a great thing. It's critical to see what's behind you, but in light of where you're headed, there's a much bigger piece of glass called the windshield because where you're going is better than where you came from. See, hope is a future with God that informs my today. And when we pray, he takes our hand in the present like a father with a child, and he walks us into the future. When's the last time you took your heavenly father's hand and said, Take, I need your hand, take me into the future. Jesus, I'll be your prisoner. Walk me into the future. See, we, get to, we tend to get fearful about the future, right? Especially in the times we live in with COVID and our nation and the world, and you can name the list. See, I don't know the future. You don't know the future, but we know the one who knows the future. And he's in control. I love what Paul Miller said in the book. He said, both the child And the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death the cynic focuses on the darkness the child focuses on the shepherd man that's i love that and i'm just going to quote a big paragraph from paul miller i just thought it was really powerful in the book he writes while jesus is hanging on the cross the religious leaders cynically mock him for his childlike trust well he saved others he cannot save himself he trusts in god let god deliver him in effect they're saying Look at what happens when you act like a child and trust your father, he abandons you. They accuse Jesus of being naive, of acting foolishly because he believes in God's goodness. Jesus does not answer his mockers because his ear is tuned to his father. Like a wise serpent, he says nothing. Like a harmless dove, he does nothing. Even as the father turns his back on him, Jesus' trust. Faced with the storm of life, he tightens his grip on his father. Jesus' childlike faith delighted his father. And on Easter morning, his father acted upon Jesus' dead body, bringing him to life. He trusted in God, God delivered him. Evil did not have the last word, hope was born. I love that. You see, this, this is gonna step on some toes. But cynicism is a choice. You didn't choose to get cynical, life happened. I understand that. Life happened to Jesus, right? But if you're gonna stay cynical, that's a choice. See, many of you are like, well, I'm cynical because of my wife. I'm cynical because of my husband. I'm cynical because of my job. I'm cynical because that prayer was answered. I'm cynical of this, this, and this, and you're blaming others. Stop blaming others. You make you cynical. And we need to repent. I decided to close my heart. I decided to stop trusting. I decided to stop hoping and believing, but you don't have to stay there. You can choose hope again. You can be a prisoner of hope. It's the hope of the gospel. It's good news. Even today, right now, it's good news. We turned our back on God, but thank you, Lord, that he didn't turn his back on us. And Jesus was nailed to the cross for our sins so that we could know the God of all hope. And it's not some distant thing. It's a now thing. And we hope for it. We wait expectantly in faith and in hope. By the way, Jesus experienced discouragement, fear, to the point where he sweat blood. And discouragement is the main weapon of the enemy. Man, he just wants to discourage the children of God. He wants to discourage you. You take five steps towards Jesus, you take a half a step towards Jesus, guess who's there trying to discourage you? You're like, I guess I'll trust Jesus. Oh, everything goes crazy, right? The discouragement is on. The fight is on. Jesus understands that. He understands that if anyone had the right to be cynical, it was Jesus. But he was the most hopeful person to walk the earth. Hope was his MO. Even on the cross, he endured the worst thing any man has endured because he had hope. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12 too, for the joy set before him. We'll talk about what that was. He endured the cross. How many of you know we gotta endure right now? This is the thing about perseverance. This is the thing about endurance right now, of running the race, keeping the faith. But it says he scorned the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before him? Well, it was a promise that gave him hope as he endured the worst day any person has endured. Have you ever been like, God, you just don't understand? Well, Lord, you've never been hurt like this. Do you hear how silly that sounds? I've done it. Well, God, you've never faced it. And he's like, oh yeah, I did. I faced the worst thing that any human has ever faced on the cross. He understands. So what was the joy before him? See, our hope begins, and I'm going to keep saying this. I've said it already a few times, our hope begins and ends with the reality there is something better in our future. And if I will endure, God will reward me in my future. I don't know what it looks like, but I trust him with it. That's the nature of hope. And it says Jesus, even though he was having to endure the cross itself and despising the shame on Friday, Jesus wasn't thinking about Friday, he was thinking about Sunday. And he had a promise on Friday, a promise about his future. He was thinking about the joy set before him. So what was the joy set before him? It's a messianic prophetic psalm written by King David that points to Jesus. And it's actually about him and the resurrection that our king is not dead, and I love it. It's a promise that reveals the joy set before him. It says, you will not leave my soul in shoal, in other words, to the grave, nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. And I love this. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. All this is the joy set before him right here. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That was the joy set before him. It was the father It was the presence of the Father, the greatest treasure of all, the Father. See, don't you know that before the cross, Satan was mocking Jesus? Well, your Father's going to abandon you. You're going to get crucified thinking you're the Savior of the world. Well, you're not. He's going to put you in a tomb, and you're going to stay there. Your Father's not going to bring you out, and your body's going to rot into the tomb. And Satan is having his way with the Son of God as he's nailing him to the cross and putting him in the grave. But Jesus had a promise from the Father. His eyes were on the Father. And you could hear him almost saying, and it doesn't say this in the scripture, but Jesus knew these scriptures. He knew the Psalms. He knew the joy set before him. And you could almost hear him saying to the devil, that he will not leave me in the grave. He will not abandon me. My father will rescue me. He will raise me from the grave. He will not allow my body to see corruption. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And I'm going to endure and have treasures evermore, pleasures evermore at the right hand of my father because he is my treasure and he's worthy of my trust. That's our God. That's a king. That's the joy set before us. Getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles, the doubt, the cynicism. And keeping the promises of God before us. Man, I didn't bring my Bible up on stage. I usually got it kicking somewhere over here. But he had a promise from God. A promise from God that helped him. Man, some of you in this dry, waterless pit, and you don't have a promise from God. Yet you've got the word of God sitting right next to you on your shelf, on your phones. We've got to have a promise of God. We've got to learn to be a promised people who pick up the word of God and war with truth. We can't let the world overwhelm us and cause us to be cynical. We need to get into the Bible and let him show us a promise and we need to keep it before our eyes just like Jesus did on the cross. And every day he walked on earth, he endured mocking cynicism and he knew the heart of man, but he was hopeful. The devil's going to come. He is. There'll be a Friday in your life. Many of you have already experienced it. There's going to come a time when he's gonna trap you in a dark moment and shove it in your face. And he's gonna take those crazy Polaroid pictures and say, you're stuck, you'll never get out, you'll never change, are you really gods anyway? He's gonna say all these lies straight from the pit of hell. And everything he's saying is a lie and you're gonna try to believe it. But you gotta get the word of God and you've gotta war with truth and the promises of God and endure. And you have gotta say, devil, what you're saying is a lie. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, because it's not over. And my God is not finished with me yet. And he promises to complete his good work in me until that day when Christ comes again. See, he's not finished with you. He's not finished with your marriage. He's not finished with the work he's doing in you. And I know some of it's a hard journey, but you endure. I love what Paul prayed over the church. He says, may, God direct you into, may, he, may he direct you into God's love and Christ's endurance. See, some of you are trying to endure in your own strength, but what you need to start praying is, Lord, I wanna endure with your endurance. Holy Spirit, empower me to endure and go on. You see, at the cross, and we're wrapping up, at the cross when everybody smelled death, God smelled resurrection. You think it's over, but God is just beginning. Once a cynic, not always a cynic. Once a closed heart, not always a closed heart. Get your eyes on Jesus. Hope begins with the heart of God. Jesus is the blessed hope and is coming again as our hope. When you pray, you're touching the hopeful heart of God. If you don't have hope right now, then pray, because you start to touch the hopeful heart of God. It's not the end of your story. Listen to these words, renewal, revival, bringing dead things back to life, resurrection. That's God's story and that's your story now if you're a believer. If you know Jesus, that's your story. Romans 8 says this For I am convinced that neither death nor life, ne- neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's hope language right there. And that's our foundation in Christ. He rules and reigns, He's good, He's conquered. All these things are under his feet. Listen, we're not gonna panic. We have a family of hope. That's why you come to church. Isn't to to meet people, isn't to to get coffee. And Those are great. It's because this is a family of hope. Are you a prisoner of hope? Listen, we gather together, we're like, we're prisoners of hope. I'm Christ's prisoner. I'm not a prisoner of the waterless pit anymore. I'm a prisoner of hope. And if you wanna come away from cynicism then you say, Lord, I surrender to you. I repent. See, you know why cynicism is so bad? Because it's sin. It's a sin and it doubts the heart of God. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Cynicism is sin and it doubts the heart of God. And God says one thing about it, repent. Repent. And then we simply surrender and say, Lord, take me. Where are the shackles, Lord? You broke all my, the worldly shackles and the devil's shackles. I want the good shackles that actually are free. that actually free us in Christ. Corey Tim Boom says this, and I've quoted this probably a thousand times here, but I'm not going to stop doing it because we need it right now. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to God, you'll be at rest. I love it. We're going to play a video in just a second, and I love this song. And through this whole journey of quarantine and COVID and the spikes and all this junk, stuff in our nation, it does there comes a point where you just start boiling over, you know? And I always go back to this song because it gets my eyes back on Jesus. See, the cynic, the people of the world, well, we know how this ends, but they don't know how it ends. God has declared from the beginning how it ends. He's the one who has done it, who's seen it, and will do it. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. It reminds me that he's in control and all things are under the feet of my king. So I want you to listen and reflect on this song and the band's gonna come, but let's worship our King. Listen to this song.
1: Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? from getting through, we do, do you wish that you could see it all? singing on